This is Jason Hansen, pastor of Anchor Church. Thank you for jumping onto our sermon podcast. My prayer is that as you listen to this sermon, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus and that you live for him in all of life. Enjoy the sermon now. Let's get into the book of Ephesians this morning. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We are in this series called We Are, where we're finding identity in the book of Ephesians. Because as you know, if you've been with us, and if you haven't, I'll tell you now, throughout the book of Ephesians, there's a number of times that Paul says, in Christ, and then spells out whatever he wants to exhort us, to tell us, to encourage us, in Christ, in Christ. So in this book, in Ephesians, we find what it means to find our identity in the cornerstone that we just sang about the rock of our salvation in Jesus himself. And we continue to do that this morning in the book of Ephesians chapter two. Now, I, it's, it's normally not good to start off a sermon controversially, but I'm gonna do it anyway this morning. I am unashamedly a dog person, okay? How many dog people here in the room? Who's a dog person? Okay, great. Yeah, most of you, because dogs are great. They're awesome. We don't even talk about cats because we don't have time for that. Dogs are amazing until, <laughs> Jessica's shaking her head at me. Until recently, uh, my family actually had three dogs. At one point, we had four. Uh, until recently, we had three, and our, our, old, our old dog died in January. It was really sad. I had him for 13 years. He was 15 years old when he died. And, and if you've had an old dog, maybe you've experienced something similar to this, but he was one of those dogs, especially towards the end of his life, that it seemed like a number of times he was going to die but then he didn't. He bounced back miraculously. And it actually, it started when he was much younger. When he was five years old, he actually got run over by my car. Uh, it was a, uh, he, my little brother was supposed to be holding onto him in the back of the Jeep. He wasn't. The dog jumped. He went under the tire, but he was fine. Took him to the vet. He almost died because of the anesthesia that they needed to take the, the x-rays. I guess he was allergic to it, but he bounced back. He had no kind of lasting injuries other than a little arthritis in his shoulder. He got run over by a car and he lived. It was amazing. And then towards the end of his life, he would go through these seasons over the last few years where it was like, Lindsay, my wife and I would talk, I think this is it. You know, he's been mostly sleeping. He's a little shaky when he walks. I think this is it. You take him to the vet. They don't know what's wrong with him. A few days later, he's jumping around like a puppy. You're, All right, he's back to life. Great, let's see how long this lasts. And he did that a number of times over the last few years before he finally passed. And there was something interesting that happened in all of that. In his ups and downs, Lindsay and I, we, we kind of didn't know what to expect out of him. We didn't know, is this dog gonna live another year, another day? I have no idea. Like, what's, what's happening here? And so it wasn't as amazing when he would bounce back. It was kind of like, yeah, I guess he, he bounced back this time. Great, he's, he's still alive. Like, it's cool, wonderful. But we didn't really know what to expect, and it became less and less miraculous that this dog kept living against, seemingly against all odds. It was it's like, okay, I guess he's living now. Great, wonderful. And, and as Christians, we think about the Christian life. We have this idea of being born again, being made alive in Jesus that we talk about. But if you're like me, the further you get away from that moment when you, when you believed in Jesus and, and all things were made new for you, the further you get away from that moment, the more you can get a little bit like we were with my dog, where you go, I guess it's miraculous, but well, I don't know. It just is what it is, you know? It's just a Christian life. I guess, I guess this is cool. I don't really know what to expect anymore. It's just life. You know, some days I wake up and it's great. Some days I wake up and it's not so great. Eh, I guess I'm alive. Whatever. If we're not careful, 
we can find that the, the further we get away from the reality of being made alive in Jesus, if we allow, our, allow ourselves to get away from that in our hearts and in our minds, the harder it can be to marvel at the miracle of new life in Jesus. Well, Ephesians chapter two, verses four through seven this morning is gonna help us recapture a bit of that wonder. Really what we're gonna spend a lot of our, t- our time doing this morning in the Bible is just marveling and what God has done, being amazed by what God has done and making you alive and making me alive if you are in Christ. We're gonna read this morning Ephesians chapter two. We'll read verses one through 10 to get the whole section. We're really gonna focus in on verses four through seven. I think Jason mentioned this last week, but if you're with us at the beginning of Ephesians, we went through this, these 14 verses that were just a run-on sentence. This also is the same way. Now the translators threw some punctuation in there for us, thank you, so I could take a breath as I read it. But in the original, there's no punctuation here. This is just Paul, he is amazed. He is marveling at the miracle of new life in Christ. He is, he's astounded, his jaw's dropping. He can't even stop to put a period in. That's what we read this morning. This is God's word to us. Ephesians chapter two, beginning in verse one, it says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's God's word to us this morning, even with punctuation in there, it's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? It's easy to get lost in this passage because there's so many big, just, realities that are bursting for us. So we're going to try and break this down this morning. Talk about how do we understand verses four through seven specifically, and how do we live in light of them? And the way we're going to do that is we are going to see this overarching truth in this passage. And it's that the love of God gives life in God. It's our big idea this morning. The love of God gives life in God. It's a pretty simple sentence when you think about it, but it's astounding. It's actually a miracle. The love of God gives life in God. And we're gonna go through this text and see the love of God giving life in God through a series of reversals that have actually taken place for you. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, these reversals have already happened for you. And if you're not in Christ, they could happen for you. So we're going to look at a series of reversals. The first is this idea of being brought from death to life. Jason talked about this last week. He said that with God, even the dead are not done. 
right? This idea that God can make, take dead things and make them alive. And Paul is reminding us again of that this morning. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This is what you've experienced if you are a Christian. You were dead in your sins and all of your rule making and rule breaking and in all of the ways that you set up your own kingdom against God's kingdom, you were dead in that. It was a, a deadly endeavor. It was useless. It was, you were dead in your sins. But God, but God has made you alive in Christ. And this resurrection from the dead should be a defining reality for you if you're a Christian. Uh, an author that I really like, his name's Esau McCauley, he talks about this uh, in terms of Jesus' resurrection. When he feels challenged in his faith or it's hard to wrap his mind around some concept in the Bible uh, or, or just as he's working with other things in life, he goes, I go back to the resurrection. If Jesus rose from the dead, which he did, it's a historical fact, if you're a doubter this morning, look into it. Historically accurate fact. Jesus rose from the dead, seen by 500 witnesses. He is alive. If that's true, that's the starting place. Now, I want to add to that this morning for you, if you're a Christian. That's, that's, we hold to that. And in our own personal faith, our own expression of faith, we also hold to this reality that if Jesus has been raised from the dead, so have you. And that's where you start. Are you struggling this morning? Are you doubting this morning? Are you confused this morning? Jesus rose from the dead. In Christ, you have been made alive. You've been risen with Christ. And it's to be a defining truth of our existence as Christians. Francis Chan, his new book, Until Unity, it's a great book, I'd recommend it. He says this, he says, being born again, being made alive in Christ is not just a one-time transaction and then waiting for death to experience the results. It is about experiencing the life of God here and now. A God who slips into a person without causing any noticeable effect does not sound like a God worth worshiping. Doesn't describe the God I read about in scripture. On the contrary, I worship a God whose resurrection power brings the dead to life and puts to death those things that repulse him. See, church, we need to, we need to grasp this, that the reality of being made alive in Jesus is not just a one-time transaction that you experienced at a youth camp when you were 15. It's not just a one-time transaction that you experienced when you prayed a prayer. It's not just something that happened in the past. It is, but it's a defining reality for all of life, Christian. If you are in Christ, you have been made alive to experience the life of God today, now, God is continually bringing about life in you. As you grow in godliness, he's continuing to put to death the death that is in you. As you grow, he's continuing to do that work. It's about life right now. Anchor church, rise and shine. Rise and shine. The love of God gives life in God. This first reversal is from death to life. Even before I move on, about, think, think about this for a moment. What do a dead person and a living person actually have in common? Not much. Bone structure, maybe? No, you have been completely changed. You're not in the grave. You're not in the coffin. 
You're made to walk around, to live in the life of God by the power of the love of God, the great love with which he loved us. It's an amazing truth. The second reversal that we see this morning is that you were a child of wrath, but now you are saved. He goes on in verse five, this little aside, he says, by grace you have been saved. By grace you've been saved. And what does it mean to be saved? We'll stick with the context here of Ephesians 2. In verse 3, he told us who we were outside of Christ. This was the problem. He says, you can look with me there at verse 3 at the end of it. He says, you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You were a child of wrath. You were orphaned in this world. You didn't have a father. All you had was the wrath of God waiting for you because of your sin, because you've set up a throne against the king of the universe. You're a child of wrath. And so when Paul says, by grace, you have been saved, what does it mean to be saved? It means to be changed from a child of wrath to a child of God. If you've read the book of John, you know this. He says in chapter one, he says, but to all who did receive him, being Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of the blood, not, uh, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You were a child of wrath, Christian. You are now a child of God, his beloved child. Think about if you have kids, the way that you love them. Maybe you don't have a a great relationship with your father or your parents, but think about that perfect ideal parent and God is a million times better. And Christian, you are his child. Call this adoption. God has adopted you. As a child of wrath, you were orphaned. You were left on your own. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, he's made you alive by grace, you have been saved. You have been made a child of God. So listen this morning, listen to me. If you have a voice whispering over your shoulder, it's whispering in your ear, a, 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 a voice of condemnation, a voice that says you're not enough, that you're a failure, that you're a loser. If you have any of that over your shoulder right now and you're a Christian, that is not the voice of God. If you have any voice that says anything but beloved child whispering into your soul this morning, that is not the voice of God. If you are a Christian, what does he say? By grace, you have been saved. You were a child of wrath. Now you are my child, church. Let's marvel at that. Can you believe that? It's amazing. We didn't deserve this. We didn't earn this. Listen, I have, I have adopted kids. They didn't ask me to adopt them. No, they didn't. It's because of the great love that I have for them, right? It's amazing. It's, it's a miracle. It's beautiful. Even more so with God. You were a child of wrath. You are now a child of God. Rise and shine, Anchor Church. You're children of God. The last reversal that we see in this passage is the reality that you were enslaved to sin, but you are now enthroned with Christ. See this in verse six. It says that God has saved us, that he has made us alive, and it says that he has raised us up with him, being Jesus, and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is a passage that is astounding, okay? Because think about this with me for a moment. 
You have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. If you were with us, we, when we went through the beginning parts of chapter one, we learned that the heavenly places are not about a physical location, but a spiritual reality. Jesus is Lord of all physical things, but he sits enthroned in the spiritual reality over all the evil forces, over all things, right? You remember this from uh, Ephesians chapter one, if you were with us in verse 19, it says this, it talks about the immeasurable greatness of God's power. You can look there with me uh, toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. In verse 20, it says this great might, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Follow me here. That's where Christ is. Okay, so when Paul says that he has raised us up and seated, him with, seated us with him, with Christ, in Christ, in the heavenly places, what, did he, what is he saying? He's saying, you have been seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. That's where you sit, Christian. Maybe your heresy meter is going off right now. I'm just reading you the Bible. I'm just reading you Ephesians. It's, it's amazing. It's astounding. If you feel like, wait, can that be right? Then just marvel with, with me at the reality of this. Christian, you have been seated with Christ, the sovereign one over all things. This is amazing. It doesn't mean our glory is equal with his, but it does mean that in his goodness and his grace, he has placed us right there with Jesus. It's where we are. See, God has, in Christ, as he's made us alive, he's both resuscitated us and relocated us. So if you are in Jesus this morning, you have been resuscitated. You've been made alive in Christ. You've also been relocated. You've been seated with the one who sits far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And the reason why that's astounding is because remember what Paul said was true about you before you were in Christ. He said that you, uh, that, that you were dead in your trespasses. He says you were following the course of this world. This is chapter two, verse one and two. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience. This is who you were. In other parts of the Bible, it says not just that you were following, but that you were enslaved to sin. You were captivated by it. You were stuck just like a dead person is stuck in the grave. You are enslaved by sin, following the prince of the power of the air, the, the, the spirit at work and the sons of disobedience, but now you've been seated with Christ far above, far above all rule and authority, far above these powers. You're with Christ in the heavenly places. This, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's amazing this morning what God has done. Rise and shine, Anchor Church. Rise and shine. You have been enthroned with Christ. You were enslaved to sin. You've now been enthroned with Christ. You've been resuscitated and relocated. It's a multifaceted reversal of who you were to who you are. And it's based on the multifaceted character of God. Okay? So this reversal isn't because God looked down and said, wow, that one's amazing. Oh, I need that one on my team. 
I need, I need Tyler on my team. I need John on my team. He's awesome. John is awesome. I need Kara on my team. No, no, God said, you are dead. You got nothing to offer. You're a slave to sin. You're a child of wrath. But now you're mine. I'm gonna make you alive. I'm gonna call you my child. I'm gonna seat you far above. Because of the character of God, it's based on his character. We saw this last week, this idea of but God in verse four. Not but you, not but your goodness, no. But God, you were dead, but God. And look at the adjectives here to describe God's character. It's just overflowing, he's rich in mercy, right? He's got great love. This, this idea in verse seven here, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Think about these adjectives. One of my kids is that kid that you, you wanna tell him about stuff because everything's great. You're like, hey, look at this. Oh, that's the best. It's amazing. You're like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's okay, but I'm glad that you think it's amazing. Yeah, like he's the one you want to show, right? I'm the guy that when you show me, I'm like, man, I guess it's cool. Okay. Like, what? That's all? No, my son is one where he's like, what? That's great. It's so good. That's what Paul is doing here, except for it's not hyperbole. He's not being hyperbolic. In fact, if anything, it's an understatement. When we think about the riches of God's mercy, the greatness of his love, the immeasurable grace and kindness that he has, we, we can't even describe it with the words that we have because it's so great, it's so rich. The riches of God's mercy and his grace would put to shame any worldly riches that we could gather. The greatness of his love puts to shame the greatest achievement, the greatest building, whatever it is that we could conjure up, it just puts that to shame. It's based on this character, this character that you've been made alive in Christ. It's based on this God, but God, the God of rich mercy, the God of great love, the God of immeasurable grace and kindness. Think about this with me for a moment. Again, we just, we just wanna marvel at this. I don't, even know how to, I don't know how to describe this in a way that's sufficient, but he says that all of this, all of this being made alive so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness to you and I who are in Christ Jesus. So let's think about that for a minute. The experience that you have of God's goodness and kindness today is just a hint of what awaits. It's just a hint. And I know many of you, you have a lot of God's goodness and his kindness in your life, don't you? You look at your families, you look at your life, you, you, you look at your church, you look around, you go, man, God is good. He is so kind. Oh, it's just a, a hint of what awaits. You ever had, had hint water? I love hint water. It's got like little, little spritz of flavor in it, right? If someone came up to me and they were, they were hungry and they wanted, they, they wanted some, some, something to eat and I said, you know what? I don't have a watermelon, but I do have a watermelon flavored hint water. Would you like that? They go, what? It's just a hint. It's just a little bit to wet my, I'm just gonna be more hungry after I eat that right? This life, the goodness and kindness of God that we experience in this life, it is real, it is substantial, but it's just a hint. It's just a hint of what awaits. And, and I, I do want to just mention, if you are here and you are not a Christian, if you're listening online and you are not a Christian, 
the inverse is actually true for you. And I want to warn you about that. That the, the goodness and kindness of God that you are experiencing right now, you might even deny it. You might even go, there is no God, or he's not good, or he doesn't care. Whatever it is, you are experiencing a hint of the goodness and kindness of God right now. Believe it or not. And if you don't turn to Jesus, this is as good as it gets for you. It's as good as it gets. But Paul says you're a child of wrath. Because of your sin, because we've set up your own kingdom against God's righteous and holy kingdom, what awaits? Wrath, not goodness, not kindness. No, but you can experience the goodness and kindness of God. The offer is the same for you because no one who's experienced this goodness and kindness did so based on anything they did. They just trusted in Jesus. That's all they did. They believed that this is God the Son, that he did live, die for them, bear their wrath on the cross, rise from the dead. Simply belief, it's faith. I want to warn you if you're not a Christian, what awaits is not goodness and kindness for you. In fact, what you have now is just a hint, and that's all you'll get. And even the, the, the wrath of God, maybe the discipline that you experience right now is just a hint as well of what awaits No, but God has something so much greater than you. He's a God who's rich in mercy. He's a God with great love. He's a God with immeasurable, unending grace and kindness. Turn to him. Trust him. It's based on the character of God. For for Christians, I want to read you a passage this morning from the Bible, from Ezekiel 37, because the reality is, This idea of God being one who makes us alive isn't like a new concept. This is is who God's always been. In fact, all the way back in the the, the olden days, long before Jesus, there's this prophet Ezekiel. He's speaking the words of God to the people of God. what's happening here if you're not familiar with the Bible. And he's looking forward to what God would do for you. So this is your story that I'm about to read. And it's a beautiful one. Let's marvel at this this morning. It's kind of a long passage. We'll put it up on the screen so you can follow along. But this, Christian, is your story. This is what you've experienced. It says this, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. You were dead in your trespasses. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. You were a child of wrath. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. But God, being rich in mercy, made you alive in Christ. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked in tendons and a flesh and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast 
army. We sang about this this morning. You turn bones into armies. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Hear this church. This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. This is the, the, the being with God. Then you, my people, will know that I am Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. He has raised us up and seated us with Christ. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord. Christian, this is your story. It's a beautiful story. It's an amazing story. This is what God has done. He was looking forward, first application to the people of Israel in exile, but even greater to the people of God through faith in Christ. Church, the love of God gives life in God. It's amazing. It's amazing. But, it's always a but, right? But it doesn't always seem that amazing, right? Is this reality still gonna be amazing to you on Thursday afternoon? Is it still going to be amazing to you on Tuesday morning when you wake up before your alarm? Is it still going to be amazing to you on Friday night when your kids are fighting you over something? Is it still going to amaze you? How do we avoid growing apathetic to this miracle of new life? Well, two points to live it out this morning, to hold on to some of that amazement and recapture maybe some of that amazement. And these two application points flow from this reality that you've been resuscitated and relocated. So first of all, regularly spend time marveling at the miracle of new life in Jesus. Regularly, that word's important. Do you know that your rhythms disciple you? Your rhythms, the the ways that you go about your day, the rhythms that you have, they have a way of discipling you. If you, you know, if you just go about your day and there's no meaning to it and you're just, eh, you know, go to work, Netflix, sleep, whatever, there comes a point in your life where that's kind of how you feel like your existence is, right? I mean, what's really the point? It's work, it's Netflix, it's kids, whatever. Your rhythms are discipling you. And one of the rhythms that we need to get in the habit of is regularly spending time marveling at the miracle of new life in Jesus because it's easy to forget. It's easy to just move on, create a different rhythm that has no life-giving meaning. It's easy to create rhythms that aren't about new life, dead coming alive, children of wrath becoming children of God that aren't about being enslaved to sin but enthroned with Christ. They're not anything about that. They're just, it's just life. It's just the life of the dead, really. We can be discipled by this. We want to make this a habit of regularly spending time marveling at the miracle of new life in Jesus. Christian, there could not be a bigger difference between what you deserve as a child of wrath outside of Christ and what you've been given in Christ. There could not be a bigger difference between what you deserve and what you've been given. And if that doesn't move you to worship, I don't know what will. 
If that reality of thinking about what I deserve outside of Christ, what I've been given in Christ, doesn't move you to worship in a whole life manner, in a way that says, my day cannot be the same because I thought about this this morning. If that doesn't move you to worship, I, I don't know what will. I don't know that anything will. We talk about being relentlessly outward. We, we want to go to people who don't know Jesus. We want to share him and say, come and, and hear, hear about the kingdom of God, right? If we're not just in awe of this reality of new life, then when we go and we do that, what are we actually inviting people to? Inviting them to church so they can just be a part of a different community? I mean, that's good, but it's not new life, right? Are we just going out saying, hey, you need to have a different set of beliefs and actions. I mean, that's good, but it's not new life. No, when we are amazed and astounded by the miracle of new life regularly, then when we go out, that interaction goes from, hey, I want you to come to church to, I want you to be made alive. There's life in Jesus forever, for now and forever. Come and hear. Let me tell you, changes everything. Just want to make a habit of regularly just dwelling on this miracle of new life in Jesus. Secondly, because we've been relocated in Christ, we want to remember, remember that your sin is under your feet and not over your head. Remember, your sin is under your feet, not over your head. Now, even now you might go, hold on, hold on a minute, Tyler. If you saw my search history before I deleted it last night so no one would find out, you would know my sin is at my fingertips. If you heard the way that I talked to my kids this morning or the way that I gossiped about a brother or sister in Christ in the hallway, you would know my sin is on my lips. If you were in my head as I interacted with that coworker this week, you would know my sin is in my mind. If you, if you saw my selfishness and my greed and my covetousness and my materialism, you would know my sin is in my back pocket. It's not under my feet. Listen, church, our experience of our sin does not change the reality of what Christ has done. Doesn't change it. He has taken you from a slave to sin and enthroned you with Christ in the heavenly places. That is the reality. Now, I understand your experience and my experience is different than that reality, isn't it? Our sin feels powerful. Sometimes it does feel like your sin is over your head, but that feeling doesn't change the reality and actually what the Bible tells us to do with that experience is to put to death those sins, put them to death. Paul says this in the book of Romans in chapter eight, he says, so then sisters and brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul's saying, he's saying, you've been filled with the spirit of God. You've been enthroned with Christ. So now you have the power to put those things to death. Are they strong? Yes. Are they powerful? Yes. And in fact, he's actually given you a couple of tools to do that, to put to death those things. They're called confession and repentance. There's two tools that you have for those sins that feel over your head. You have tools to put them to death, confession and repentance. Confess to the Lord. Confess to whoever you've sinned against. Confess to a brother or sister in Christ that can hold you accountable. Confess, tell them. Tell them about it. Bring it into the light. 
and repent. Turn away from it. Turn around. Go the other direction. You know, when I was a kid, I would play this silly game. I was maybe like 10. Go to my aunt's house and we'd go swimming, all the cousins and brothers and sisters. And I would do this thing where I'd try and hold my breath and then float in the pool face down and make it look like I'm dead. You guys ever did that when you were a kid? You're just like, maybe someone will think I'm dead as I'm floating here. And it's silly because they saw me splashing around in the pool five seconds ago. They're going to see me splashing around again in five seconds when I can't hold my breath anymore. Like, it's silly. Never once did it work actually convincing someone that I was dead. Christian, when you hold that sin near, when you play around with it, when you say, oh, it's just too much. Oh, I'm going to give in again. It's like you're floating in the pool like a dead person. But you're not dead. You've been made alive. It's silly. It's silly. You've been made alive. A living person cannot actually play dead. Because guess what? Your, your chest is going to go up and down as you breathe, right? Guess what? You're going to have to take another breath of air. It's silly. It's a child's game. Christians, if we're going to be mature, we need to remember that our sin is under our feet, not over our heads. We've been given these tools of confession and repentance to take sin seriously and walk in the light because the love of God gives life in God. The great love of God has made us alive and now we walk in that life. We don't play dead floating in the pool. That's silly. That's what kids do. But we don't do that. We, we walk in the light. And I want to invite the band up as we uh, prepare to close here. We think about this idea of being made alive in Jesus. I said it before, but there's, there's not much that dead people and living people have in common. Right? A dead body decaying in a coffin somewhere doesn't have really much of anything in common with you right now as you sit here. And you breathe and you think and you, you know, you, you, you think about lunch, your mind's wandering, whatever. It's just, there's really not much in common. But here's, here's the question that we need to ask as a church. Do we, as people made alive in Christ, look much different than the dead people around us? And the Bible says that they're dead in their sins outside of Christ. Do we look much different? Do we, is it evident that the love of God is on us and the life of God is in us? And if so, if we can go out and, and walk among a valley of bones, the living prophets, calling them to life, what kind of a difference might God make in our community? When we're not just inviting people to a church service or we're not just inviting people to a different religion or whatever. No, we're inviting people to live, live generously for Jesus in all of life because they've been made alive in Jesus. What kind of a difference might God make in us? This morning, we're gonna take communion. I've talked about this before, but there's kind of three R's to communion. We wanna remember, we wanna reflect, and we wanna repent. So as we take communion, we're remembering. The bread is reminding us of the broken body of Jesus. The juice is reminding us of the spilled blood of Jesus. We're remembering the way that we can even talk about this idea of new life is only because God bore our death. That's the only reason why we can talk about it and rejoice in it. So we remember that. We also reflect on what that means for us. And this morning, I wanna encourage you. I wanna direct your reflection. I want you to reflect on a couple of things. First of all, your level of gratefulness or maybe apathy over a new life in Jesus. This morning, as we take communion, think about that. Where are you at? Is that something that excites you? Or has it been a long time since that miracle has really felt like a miracle? 
Reflect on that. As you think about this idea of your sin being under your feet and not over your head, reflect on the sins in your life that you're clinging close to, that you're treating them as if they're not under your feet, but as if they're your, your bosom buddy. Reflect on that. And then lastly, we wanna repent. Turn from those things. Turn to Jesus. He is worth it. He's made you alive to do so. Let's begin by taking the bread and the cup together. We remember in the bread, Jesus' body broken for us. He hung on a cross for you, for your sins. Because you were a child of wrath, he bore that wrath that you deserve. Let's take the bread together. And we remember in the cup, his blood that was spilled to cover you, to cover your sins so that you might be made alive in Christ. Just as he has risen from the dead, that you may be risen from the grave because of his blood spilled for you. Let's take the cup together. Let's take a moment to reflect right now. Julie's just gonna play piano. I wanna encourage you, take a minute and just reflect on these things that we've looked at this morning in the world. I really hope that you were encouraged by the sermon today. You can learn more about us at anchorchurchgilbert.com. We'd love to have you join our mailing list. You can do that on the website. If you have any questions for us about who Jesus is, please let us know through our website. I hope that you were encouraged.